Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I am incredibly excited to be here. Um, I'm not excited for the circumstances that brought me here. I'm very sad that uh, Pastor Tim has felt so ill and has had the uh, weight on his shoulders this week that he has with uh, the loss of family, but um, this is an incredible privilege to be able to share with you guys this morning, and um, I'm very grateful for it. Um, I also want to say um, I'm just excited that we are able to pray for our school. Um, that, that is not a break in worship there. Um, when we spend time in worship and we're able to um, lift up the Lord for how excellent he is and what he's done, praying over our school is one more example of how excellent he is and what he has done. And so uh, thank you guys for uh, participating in that with us today. Today, I wanted to work on a big question with you. Is that fair? A big question. As we've uh, begun a new year, I, I think I'm with you and, and uh, most folks across America that we uh, take this time, this, this January time, to try to process things just a little bit differently. We want this year to be different from the last, and we think of all of the things that have um, been a frustration or a pain or a trial or, or something to that effect in our 2017. I, I know that we as people want things to be different, and we all like different. We call it uniqueness. Different is good. Excuse me. <laughs> different is good. But what makes us different? What makes our faith different? So that is our big question today. If you are a believer today, we're going to ask you, what makes your faith different? If you're not a believer, I'm going to present a different faith to you today. And today also, and I think maybe a little bit of the spirit of January, but not quite like you think, I also want to talk about the things that most people are all worried about for January. I want to talk about scales and measurements and <laughs> newness, and um, I'm, I'm not going to talk about New Year's resolutions. Um, that's, that's not in my notes today. Um, but as soon as I start talking about scales in January, all of us start to get this imagery of this moment of dread, you know, looking at that flat piece of plastic and metal that tells us a, a deep and intentional truth about ourselves that maybe or maybe not we, uh, we want to be a part of. But um, I, I believe this new year, um, now that it has begun, it begins a belabored process to do more than we did last year, to have a better year. Maybe it's in terms of your financial stability, maybe it's for good health or to drink plenty of water or, or to participate in a good diet and exercise. We <clears throat> might even set a goal for reading more, especially for the believer, the Bible, but, of course, we know by February, a lot of this will just be a frustrating memory, and we will be, quote-unquote, back to a reality. I want to present to you today a parable that gives us a new reality, a parable that, as I personally have worked through it and um, written it and worked in it, um, it's teaching me more and more about what makes my faith unique and different and new every day. I feel led to share this parable today, especially because this is a culture at this very moment desiring newness. And people of faith should have the market cornered on newness. 
If you were to walk to, uh, er, into Meyer right now, I wouldn't recommend walking to Meyer right now. It's a little bit cold. Um, but if you were to walk into Meyer right now, um, especially at that uh, merchandise entrance, you will see January in full force. You will see on one hand cough drops and flu medication, a pallet of ice melt, <laughs> right? You will see all of these things, space heaters, right there in the entrance because they want you to see that January is in full force. And on the other hand, or over here just slightly to your left, you will see protein shakes, sports bottles, and little blue and pink two-pound weights. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about? I, I think you move them more like, I don't know how you move them. Um, but two-pound weights, and then perhaps scales. Now, the scales are not quite the same type of scales that I'm driving at this morning, but we, we don't like to look at them. Many of us really don't want to experience what the scale has to tell us, because the scale tells us a couple of facts, you know? It, it really gives us a, a baseline, and it, it puts everything in perspective for us for a second. But our faith in no way, shape, or form operates like a scale, which is a good thing. I'm glad. The real believer's faith does not look like a scale at all. In fact, I, I've noticed, especially in my studies, that all other religions operate with scales. All other religions. Every nation, tribe, and tongue's best interpretation of the spirit realm gives us this idea of scales. The Muslim scale is called the scale of deeds. If your righteous deeds are not greater than your mistakes, then you are out of balance and you face judgment. The Buddhist observes an eightfold path represented by a wheel that must be kept in balance or your life becomes derailed. Karma literally means deed and represents a balance of cause and effect. And even all the way over to our, uh, our cousin, uh, the, um, uh, a Jew, or uh, people in Judaism, they have the law and the covenant, where man is made accountable to his deeds and practices in order to pursue the Lord's righteousness. But all of those things, trying to keep man in balance, miss an incredibly important thing for us as believers to be able to define and battle against the, face, or the problem that we face is this big word, sin. And sin has meant the same thing since the beginning. And maybe some of you know this, maybe you don't. And I hope this refreshes your uh, understanding of this term, because we all face sin. We are all cursed with a culture of sin. It is in our DNA since the fall. We have a sin problem. I'm not going to make you repeat it after me, but the original uh, Hebrew pronunciation of the word sin is chata'af, okay? Sounds like a little bit of a sneeze or a, cl a clearing of the throat, but chata'af, okay? It means sin, and this word chata'af literally translates to an archery term, okay? It is an archery term. This archery term gives us the, or its meaning, is the distance from the arrow that you fired to the bullseye. So the word sin, if, if uh, my hand were the bullseye here, and you were to fire your arrow and it lands here, sin 
is from here to here. Does that make sense? That word chata'ath means I have missed the bullseye by that much. And that term has sat in archery in the ancient times and has brought us this concept where we understand sin to be missing the mark. But it is literally, in, in its very basics, an archery term. And we have a problem with it. Our life has, has fired arrows into this, this grand bullseye that has given us a distance. Christian, the thing that makes your faith unique is as drastic as the difference between scales and archery equipment. I want to tell you a story, um, and this is a, kind of a funny story, but this is uh, the one I recall the most when I uh, think of archery equipment. Uh, this last summer, I had, I'm going to call it a privilege, I had the privilege of uh, going to a camp and teaching elementary kids rudimentary archery skills. Okay, like you will learn the Lord's patience like that <laughs> right about the time you start handing 10-year-olds projectile weapons. I mean, it is, it is an uh, incredible journey. Um, but I, I, I recall trying to teach all of these upper elementary kids how to use this bow and arrow, beautiful bow, like colorful bows. They, they called them the Genesis bow. It's the beginner's bow, but it's, it's fantastic. You can hunt a bull elk with this thing with the right arrow. This is an awesome bow. It's a compound bow. Those of you that know what that means, um, it means uh, arrow go shooty really hard. Uh, like, I'm just, just to give you an idea. And so this, this process... Uh, began my, my morning, I would get up and I would set up these straw targets and I would um, place them with a hill in the back. Um, and that, that hill um, was probably, you know, 15, 20 feet up. I mean, plenty of room for them to make their misses and so on. And um, that hill was wooded. And so there's leaves and, and vines and trees and all sorts of things. No clear path in those woods. And I would then, you know, after I set up my targets, I would, you know, take my measuring uh, tape and walk the appropriate amount of paces to a first appropriate line for them to begin with. And I would set out each of the quivers. The quivers would sit on the ground. And, you know, then I would bring out the rack of bows and set them out there. And it's, it's amazing um, to, uh, to think that, you know, kids would be interested in a whole bunch of colorful bows uh, sitting on a rack as soon as they were done with breakfast. Um, and so what would happen is I would have to start shouting my instructions as they were exiting breakfast. Um, because what would happen is the door would fling open and a few kids would go, oh, I want the green one. And before you know it, you have, you have a problem on your hands. You're trying to keep these kids in check. And as I brought them in for instruction and as I gave them an opportunity to hear the rules and select their bow, they would finally select their bow and make their way over to the line and I would again regurgitate these instructions over and over and over again. Most of them were unheeded. <laughs> so many times when I would say, wait until I say draw to draw, you'd hear, I, I didn't say it. Wait until I say loose to fire. Oh, come on. What did I say? I said, wait. And, and all of these arrows, it, it was a, a really interesting sound. Usually when, um, uh, and people I've been around, uh, when I go out to fire a bow or folks that I, I spend my time with, you usually hear, and it hits the target. A lot of times you just hear, hear 
and it just goes skittering off across the ground into the woods, and you know, there's all this, this nonsense of, of sound and frustration. But each of these kids, they would scare me to death. Um, there was one little girl. <laughs> she was a little girl. She should have been in arts and crafts. Um, she, <laughs> she pulled the bow and just barely got it back enough and put her head in. <laughs> and, so, and so, of course, I'm just and grabbing arms and legs, and she's fa- safe and fine. Everything's copacetic. But this, I, I, in crafting my parable, this, this event in my life, this teaching of archery, reminds me so much of how God watches us every single day. And I, I think about God when um, each of these kids would loose arrows and more than half of them wound up in the woods. And, and at the end of each firing session, um, I would go out with my, um, uh, my helper. Let's see, uh, I think he's here. Hey, what's up, Tanner? <laughs> Tanner Ballinger was my, uh, my helper for that, that process. And after each session where they fired all their arrows, then uh, Tanner and I, would, we'd have a, a procedure. And we'd go, all right, everybody put your bows back on the rack. Stay out of the woods. Tanner and I will go get it. And so we would, through thorns, and, and, like, and this is you know, during the summer, there's snakes out there, like uh, just water snakes, nothing scary. In, in Indiana, you guys just have these weak little things. I'm from North Carolina. We had copperheads. It's, it's nothing. But there's, there's all these snakes and, and thorns, and like, you'd get your legs torn up, and like, you get these little holes in your jeans, and it, it was just so frustrating, and there was just all this anguish. As, as you went out into the woods to try to hunt these arrows that were fired there because they really had no idea what they were doing. And so we would do that to keep the shooter safe. And I, I think of this when I, I read a passage. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. If you guys have your Bibles with me, please pull them out. We're going to read a lengthy passage here today. It's a very important one for us to understand, I think, especially as we begin a new year, especially as we are a people that crave newness, especially as we're trying to figure out what to do with this problem called sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21 says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, God, was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. You guys remember that term? He made him to be distant who knew no distance from perfection, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that incredible? And I, I, I think, and I, I want to tell you this parable that I've been working on. I, I've been jotting it down in bits and pieces, but it, it just came to my heart and mind, and, and I, think, I think we as a culture of believers, I said it at the, at the beginning, I think we should have the market cornered on newness. And there's something unique about our faith in God 
that gives us total access to this newness. And let's, let's see if we hear it in the parable. Those of you that are uh, unfamiliar with what a parable means, it's a story that tells an eternal truth. And I hope I've uh, written one for you today. The kingdom of heaven is like a great archery tournament in a great kingdom. The king is a good king. It was the king's will that the archery tournament never need happen, but his subjects desired to test their strength. The king had warned them that if they entered the great archery tournament, if so much as one arrow missed its mark, the tradition was that there was a death penalty attached to it. The king begged his subjects to never draw their bow, but they did anyway. And arrow after arrow they fired, only to miss time after time after time. And some time had passed, and each of the targets was barely hit. And each of the people on the firing line saw that maybe, perhaps, they shouldn't have entered the archery tournament. And so some asked for help, some asked for hope, some made up new methods of firing their arrows. But miss after miss after miss occurred. And finally, people began to realize that their death was imminent. And so they begged for help again and again and again. Help us, king, help us. And he says, I, I encouraged you not to fire. And then onto the course walks another man. And he grabs his bow. And he walks over to your quiver and to your quiver and to your quiver. And he draws an arrow from each. And he stood on your line. And he placed one clean shot on the bullseye. And he'd walk to the next lane, and the next lane, and the next lane. And bullseye after bullseye after bullseye after bullseye occurred. And there, some people looked and they said, well, this was my lane. <laughs> what are you doing shooting an arrow? in my lane. And the man says, well, I'm, I'm the king's son. I'm the prince. And that's your arrow. And then he walks downrange. He walks over to your target, and he plucked each and every missed arrow from your space. And beyond that, he walked into the woods behind it, braving the snakes and thorns for your safety. And he retrieved every last missed arrow that was fired. And he walks back to the king. And he said, these are mine. Each of these arrows belongs to me. And I am here to pay the penalty for them. 
each of these arrows I claim. And they have an opportunity to claim the one that still sits there. And in so doing, a prince and an archer gave an opportunity for victory and to meet the king. In Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 24, it says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, grace is the thing that makes the Christian faith unique. Grace is the thing that separates our best guesswork from the reality of heaven. Grace is the thing that knocks over the scales of other belief systems and says, this is beyond redeemable, but there was an arrow loosed on your behalf. I wonder if you'd claim it today. And so we have this system that is completely unique and going again into this new year, should we not have the market cornered on newness? Should we not have a message of grace to tell people? Should this not be a story we tell in the next restaurant we stop in or in our homes with our families or in our workplaces? Isn't it incredible that we have a God that gave us grace? During a British conference on comparative religions, Experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was really unique to the Christian faith, and they started to eliminate possibilities. Incarnation, perhaps, but other religions had gods in a human form. Resurrection, again, you know, some other religions had accounts of a return from death. And the debate raged until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. And he said, what's the rumpus about? If you can imagine this, you know, stocky Englishman walking in with all of his strength. What's the rumpus about, he asked and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. And Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's just grace. Grace means your death penalty is paid as a gift in accordance with all of your misses. This is the message of newness that we should swing at this month, January. This gift is given freely, and we are given easy access to it. And this message is for each and every one of us in some level. To the, to the seasoned believer... How do you tell the story of grace? How often do you tell the story of grace? How consistently do you tell the story of grace? Is it on your lips all day long? Because this is what makes our faith unique. To, to the person who's near believing, 
You've heard the stories and you want to be a part of it. To you, I would just say, hey, stop shooting arrows. No amount of your accuracy solves this. You can't shoot a better arrow in order to earn the prince's arrow. Does that make sense? Like, I, I did that in my own life. I, I, if I had a target and, and I would place it over there and I'd come back here to the line and I would prepare myself and I would fire that arrow and it missed, I would want to shoot one more so it maybe missed a little less. It was a little bit closer. That way, when, when the king finally, or the prince finally walked over to take my arrow, he would at least find a couple closer to the mark, right? He would find me doing at least a little bit better than someone else. And so to the near Christian, stop shooting arrows and surrender. To the one who doesn't believe, there is a unique faith. One that is different from all other religions. One that is different from all all other faiths, one that is different from everything else because of this crazy thing called grace. And, and don't you just crave to be a part of something really genuinely new? I, I, I know for me, like, I, I want to start January off right. I want to do more crunches and drink more water, but that doesn't solve the problem I face every day which is a battle with my enemy, which is real sin and death looming around every corner of this culture. And so today, I wanted to tell you about a unique thing. We don't have scales in our faith. In fact, Jesus was really good at knocking those things down. We don't have scales here. No amount of your best tips it anyway. It is only Christ's best that tips the scales. Amen. And he tipped them over. And so for each of us today, I hope we'll take this. I hope this was valuable to us. I hope that even if you don't tell a story about archery equipment and some joker trying to teach kids how to shoot arrows, what's your story to tell somebody about God's grace? Shouldn't that be where we begin every year? Shouldn't that be where we begin every single morning? Overwhelmed by grace upon grace upon grace. Amen. With complete access to it. And so guys, this is a simple story. I hope, I hope it's a simple story to understand. But I, I just want to ask you one more thing, and, I, and then I want to uh, close with a little bit of prayer, and I want to give you an opportunity to pick a new arrow. But I, I know for me, if I were to be in this parable, if I were to be living it, and I had loosed so many arrows, and I knew what the, the penalty was for it, being death, when that prince pulled every last one of my arrows out, and he marched back over with that, I mean, wad of lumber on his shoulder, and if he were to tap me on the side and just go, I've got these, I wonder what I would sound like. I mean, would I plead for him to stick around? Would I, would I, I beg him to at least, you know, only, only take half of those. I'm embarrassed by this pile. Like, can you hide it? I, I don't know what I'd say to him. But when I fully realized that his redemption was sure, 
when I fully realized that I could be rescued from my death, when I fully realized that no amount of my effort got me there and the only prerequisite is to claim the arrow sitting down there on my board. I don't know what I'd do except celebrate him. I don't know what I'd do except anything he asked me to do. I don't know what I'd do except run back up the line and go, did you hear? There's someone who takes your arrows away. There's someone who takes your penalty away. There's someone who shoots an arrow and he hasn't missed any yet and never will and never has. It, it won't happen. He will not fail you. And I, I don't know why he does it, but he does. I guess he just loves us. And so today, this is a salvation message. But if you've already got it, I, I pray that you can't shut up about grace. I pray that January freaks the people out around you because all you can do is tell them about your rescue. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. And today, if, if you go, man, I've been shooting a lot of arrows. And of course I miss a lot. All of these little spots in my life, all these little lies I've told, all these little twisted things I've let creep in, it's just me firing over and over and over again. And I, I, I can't hit the bullseye and I know that I have to pay for everything else that's there. I don't know what to do. You can ask a flawless archer to do his work. You can claim an arrow that was shot on your behalf, whether you wanted it to be shot on your behalf or not. And so today, if you know that you've missed the mark and you haven't asked perfection to pay that penalty for you, the penalty is death. And so I would implore you today, I would beg you to ask him in and to claim an arrow and to watch yours go away. All of your misses go away. All of that sin, all of that distance that you've built up, go away. So here as I pray, you'll know when it's time, but if, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand high. Because for me, if I were sitting there with the opportunity to be redeemed from my death, I wouldn't just kind of Take some boldness today and lay claim to your rescue. So when I say raise them high, raise them high, if you want to ask Christ into your life to redeem you today, please respond. Let's pray. God, you are a good king. And you, you have this beautiful desire for us to be near you. You have this beautiful desire for us to be close to you and, and we can't do it without righteousness. The Lord in our lives we miss so many times. At no point will we be a good archer, but it's incredible that you sent your son. That there is someone who paid our 
imperfections with perfection. That in Corinthians, it reminds us he became sin. He became the distance away from you for us. And Lord, we all miss. I've missed our pastors here, our staff, everyone we've, we've missed. But Lord, I know that there is one arrow. There's one arrow in my target that says the rest of these don't count and they're paid for. That one arrow stands in defiance of our enemy. That one arrow stands in defiance of the wind and the trials and all of the things that could have destabilized the shot. That arrow sits as a marker to say, you came. And, and Lord, here we are at the end of what we've celebrated as Christmas and New Year's, but we're here in the season of, of Christmas, a, a season of gifts. And it says in your word, just like we read today, that that gift is grace. That gift is an undeserved rescue. And so, Lord, if this has jostled anyone's heart today, if they're ready to ask for you to come in, Lord, I pray right now that even for a couple of moments that they would raise their hand. Would you raise your hand right now and say that I've sinned and I missed and I've never given God my arrows. I've sinned and I've missed and I'm I'm in need. Keep those hands up for just one minute. With that hand, you say, I don't want to shoot anymore. I just want to know what victory feels like. And so, Lord, here's my prayer. And, and those of you that have raised your hands, you may lower them now, but would you pray this with me? Dear Lord, have mercy on me. I miss a lot. And I'm far from bullseye. I'm far from perfection. Thank you for a gift. Thank you for your help. Thank you for erasing my arrows. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, today I want this to change me. Lord, today I want to tell people about what you've done. Lord, today I accept your gospel. I accept your good news that you've saved me. Thank you for praying that this morning. And as I close this prayer, Lord, again, thank you for saving us. I can't sing it loud enough to say thank you. I can't make enough noise or, or give enough gifts to justify this gift that you've given us of grace. And so, Lord, thank you for the three people that raised their hand because they want you. They crave that newness that only you can give and they wanted to lay claim to that today. And so, Father, I pray very sincerely that you would wrap them up in your care and that you would carry them into this week emboldened 
and renewed and refreshed. Would you carry them into this week to make an impact? And Lord, would that impact become contagious? And Lord, would it already be contagious in us, those of us that have said we've already laid claim? Father, would we pour this out over our communities and our families and our workplaces? Father, thank you for taking feeble words and making them something valuable. Now, Father, I pray very sincerely for a spirit of conviction for all of us who would call ourselves believers to go from this place and tell everyone that there is one perfect one who gives grace. There is one perfect archer. There is one perfect sacrifice. And Lord, when you went off into the woods with our arrows and when you faced the thorns and when you faced the snakes, the greatest thing is you walked back out that our trials and our pain and all of that is relinquishable. That you have defeated death. Not only did you pay for it, you went in with a pile of sticks and you beat death to death with them. And so Lord, today, thank you again for new souls and we want to celebrate that out loud because you are so good. Lord, we can only lift a prayer up like this in your name because only you stand both as king as Redeemer and a Holy Spirit that steadies our life far beyond what any scales or guesswork could ever do. Thank you for being near us and in us and around us and for us. And we can again only pray this in the mighty name of the one 